This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Are you left wanting more at the end of each episode of this show? Are these short sessions getting you fired up to try new skills for yourself and share the journey with others who are working through the same challenges? Well, the good news is that this podcast is only the beginning. The real action and learning is happening on the Regenerative Skills Discord channel, where you can connect with the whole community to dive deeper into the topics on the show, explore solutions, and share your journey and blooper reel with an active group that can't wait to hear from you. You can get your questions answered and share knowledge and wisdom of your own on a safe platform that, unlike the social media giants, won't steal your personal data to advertise to you in creepy ways. Ditch Facebook and join us where the real skill builders are. Just find the link to the Discord chat on the homepage at regenerativeskills.com. Since I first arrived in the northeast of Spain a year and a half ago, I've been obsessed with getting to know the native plants in my area. Now I've been blown away by just how many edible and medicinal plants are all around me and growing in the most unlikely places from cracks in the concrete and the edges of parking lots to erosion gullies and even whole forests of rosemary and thyme. Now, I'm sure anyone who studied plant medicines knows that some of the most resilient and persistent pioneer plants that conventional gardeners are always at war with also happen to be some of the most potent medicines and nutritious foods. One in particular that I found growing in some really harsh conditions was elderberry. When I first arrived in August, a lot of the bushes were transitioning from flower to fruit and I took the opportunity to harvest some, not really knowing how I was going to process it. But luckily I found some help from books and friends in my network who had more experience and I ended up making enough elderberry syrup to last me until now and all of the pandemic paranoia of self-medicating at the first sign of a stuffy nose that came in between. For that reason, I was thrilled to see an old buddy of mine from Minnesota Pete Wyden, start putting out content about elderberry as a profitable business venture. Now, many of you might remember Pete from previous seasons of the Abundant Edge podcast, where he came on to talk about attracting clients to your permaculture business and unlocking your potential in regenerative business. And while he still works a lot in permaculture landscape design and business consultation, I invited him back this time to share his knowledge about elderberry as a profitable and resilient agroforestry business with some really incredible potential. But of course, we need to start at the beginning in case you're not familiar with elderberry and its many benefits. I think overarching are that the the plant has the berry is edible. The flowers are also very useful and and are edible. Um, it has vast ecological benefits and uh, also internal benefits for humans. Yeah, it seems like it ticks a lot of boxes. But what got you interested in it? I think the main reason why I got into elderberry is because of its medicinal benefits. And that's what most people are familiar with. Um, So a lot of peer reviewed studies from the scientific community have been published uh, a number of which uh, focus on elderberry fruits ability to help protect healthy cells from the influenza virus. This has been shown in scientific studies. I wonder what that could be useful for and also um, to help people who suffer from hyperglycemia, high blood sugar to protect, you know, the eyes, the kidneys, and it's, it can be very damaging to the body to have high blood sugar. Um, so elderberry can help moderate that. And also 
elderberry juice has been shown to be inhibitory and anti-promotional to cancer cells. So it can slow down cancer. It can actually inhibit it from growing, which mind blowing, right? Well, yeah, but what's even more mind blowing to me is that natural remedies like this aren't more widely used and prescribed, but I won't open that can of worms just now. Let's focus instead on the potential of growing this super plant from a business perspective. In relation to let's say people who have a piece of land and they want to have a profitable enterprise, the, the consumer public is increasingly aware of elderberry's benefits. And last year I went on national TV a few different times to talk about that. And people are just so ready for this information. And you see it places all, all types of stores, even Walgreens here in the US, which is a, like a corner drugstore chain they have elderberry supplements that people buy. And so you don't just have to go to the health food store to get this stuff. And I love elderberry as a small scale crop because very few people are growing more than a couple acres of elderberry, say a hectare of elderberry. It's, um, it hasn't been mechanized. You can't use machinery to harvest it. The fruit is very soft and breaks apart. Um, but that being said, it's also a perennial crop. So let's say somebody who has a small vegetable farm or even just a property that they've retired on and they want to make some extra income, it's very well within the possibility to be making between six and $40,000 per acre per year growing elderberry, depending on if you're selling wholesale or making it into value-added products such as juices. Um, the management... It's fairly straightforward for elderberry, but I think there's a lot of oversimplification that a lot of people tend to get into with growing elderberry as with many other crops where it's just like, well, if we have high organic matter in our soils, right pH, we should be good to go. Um, so that's where I come in as a consultant is helping people really understand some of that nuance on the ground versus that kind of pie in the sky romantic idea that I think a lot of us have when we first start an operation. For sure. I mean, I know I've fallen victim to over romanticizing my own business ideas in the past. So let's get a good practical understanding to build realistic expectations on. Tell me some of the essential information that someone interested in growing elderberry should know about the plant itself. In Europe, a lot of elderberry is actually processed very industrially, at least on the larger scale. Um, and so it's different here in the U.S. where our primary focus is the medicine. It's not also a dye and other things that it's used for in Europe. But Sambucus canadensis is native from Canada down to Texas, and it grows across that whole range. And so people in Georgia, people in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we do also have Sambucus cerulea, which is blue elderberry, which is native in the Rockies, and which I here in Minnesota in the U.S. I'm going to be trying to grow because it is cold hardy. But Sambucus canadensis, the American black elderberry, has many different varieties that have been selected from, they're really just cuttings taken from wild plants. And when we're talking about varieties, it's also important to mention that I don't recommend anyone planting a whole field of one cutting because they're going to be genetically identical. And then permaculture and just holistic gardening and farming, we want to keep that diversity up. So genetic diversity is important, but there are a lot of varieties to choose from. And here in Minnesota, we're at a higher latitude. And so we do get earlier frosts. Um, and it's important that our elderberry plants are going to actually 
fruit and ripen fully so we can harvest them before that frost. So generally there, right now there are four really common varieties grown here. They're Bob Gordon and Ranch and um, Adams too and John's. There's also a, a variety called Wildwood, which has huge uh, flower heads and also big uh, berry clusters afterward. That one's grown mostly for flowers in this area. But it's really something that I invite people to experiment with on their own property. They're not terribly expensive to get cuttings. Usually you can get them for like two bucks a cutting. Um, and I recommend just starting out with, let's say six to eight varieties, seeing what does well, maybe planting more of a few so that you actually have, let's say a half acre to start with. But then you can build out from there, take cuttings from your existing plants and then just start in that stepwise fashion and get a real sense of, okay, this half acre or this acre, what's it gonna take to double this size or quadruple the size of this operation? Can we do it? Uh, what's it gonna take financially, uh, energy, labor-wise, infrastructure, et cetera? I think it's so cool how many trees and woody species that you can propagate like that from cuttings. It can really be a lot more affordable to get an agroforestry operation or other perennial crop operation off the ground than a lot of people think. Now, while the planting and propagation might be really simple, Let's talk about the maintenance of elderberry as a crop, because I've seen that maintenance is one of the aspects that people can often overlook when getting into a venture like this. The maintenance, uh, as far as uh, pruning goes, doesn't really vary related to the climate. Um, elderberry benefits from going dormant, uh, at least here in, I believe, it must even in Texas, because they do get frosts in a, in a fair number of regions there even. but. Depending on the variety, elderberry likes to be treated in different ways. And so, for example, if somebody's growing the European black elderberry, elderberry, that's more of a tree form, as far as I understand. I have the most experience with the American, which is more shrub-like. But the, the tree form, for example, there's a variety called Marge of the European that we can grow here. And people prune that differently, more like a tree. Uh, and as far as the canadensis goes, the American... It depends on whether your variety is determinate or indeterminate. And it's just like tomatoes, where if you have a determinate tomato variety, it's gonna produce one big flush for the most part of fruit, rather than producing fruit, 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 fruit over say like a couple months until frost or dormancy. And so if you have a determinate elderberry variety, you actually are gonna come in and prune those stems all off right at the ground. And that's what's been shown to be, the University of Missouri has done a lot of research on this. That's what's been shown to be most helpful for determinate varieties to reset the clock on all the stems. So they fruit, they flower and fruit at the same time, making it really easy to come through and harvest all your stuff. And that's, we tend to grow determinate varieties here in the higher latitudes because they're more reliably producing all their fruit at once and often a little bit earlier than indeterminate varieties um, so for example, ranch and Bob Gordon are determinate, indeterminate varieties would be like Wildwood, Adams to Johns. Um, there are a bunch of others. I, I believe it's more common to have an indeterminate variety than not, but indeterminate, you treat it a little bit more like say a blueberry bush where you're pruning out the third year and older canes, although the age range is different for blueberries, but you take the older canes, you take damaged and diseased canes out. And then you're really looking to have those second year canes um, be the main producers for your crop. 
All right, well, now that we have a solid understanding of the maintenance of an elderberry system, let's explore the harvest and post-harvest aspect because I know that there's a lot more products that you can make and sell from elderberry. Yeah, so what most people are selling are, is the bulk frozen fruit. And so at least the people that I, I work with to set up um, initial elderberry farm plans and get them going, it's, one, it's probably the simplest thing to harvest and package and, um, and get sold. So people take the fruit and sanitize it and rinse it and pack it into buckets and freeze it, get it to whomever is buying it wholesale, like 25 pound buckets. Um, there are a number of farmers in the area here where I am who also harvest the flowers. And actually on any elderberry plant, you can harvest the bottom third closest to the ground of the flowers and not adversely affect the amount of fruit that you're getting, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so people who are harvesting the flowers, it flowers in June here where I am, and you'll take those flowers, you can sell them at fresh or dried, and it really depends on what your end market is. So if you're making your own tea, you're going to be drying it. Um, but if you're selling it to perhaps somebody who's making elderflower liqueur, they might want to use the fresh or dried, and it depends on the person's preference. So you really want to know who your market is before you're looking at harvesting these things. Um, as far as the process for harvesting flowers, it's the same uh, for the most part as the fruit where you harvest those flowers, you actually de-stem them. And with the flowers, you're just rubbing them over uh, like a hardware cloth type of mesh. And so you get rid of that syme, which is the umbrella-like structure that the flowers are born on. So you don't need that um, you just get the, all the flowers off and they're very, very densely laden with pollen, which is, I believe, the, the actual medicinal component of the flower, but super fragrant. And so I know somebody in this area who sells the dried flowers to a local tea maker and they have a really great relationship doing that. And so you can get multiple products in the same season. It's not mutually exclusive flowers and fruit. You can definitely do both. Um, I'm not as familiar with some of the other uses, such as a friend of mine in Missouri had a, like a really nasty knee injury of some kind or some kind of wound. And, um, his wife made him a poultice of the elderberry bark and it just healed him like magic. So it's got some type of healing abilities from the bark. I've heard things with the leaves too, but I focus on the flowers and fruit. And I do also want to mention that in relation to, the saleable products that come off the elderberry plant, the cuttings are a very, very high value product as well, because a lot of people are looking for cuttings of certain varieties to start their own farm or even grow in their own backyard. I think I made about, I don't know, $600 last year selling little bundles of five cuttings out of a cooler off the farm here. Um, and I'm, I don't even actually farm elderberry. I live on a blueberry farm. So um, you know, the potential is really vast because while I was running the numbers to uh, potentially start up my own elderberry farm a few months ago, you can make about 16 grand per acre just on cuttings. And if you you have to prune anyway every year to make sure your plants stay vigorous and productive, and that's with a determinate variety where you're cutting off all the canes, but, you know, between four and $16,000 per acre per year, not including flowers and fruit. And not even including the potential for 
um, and, and keeping food safety protocols in mind, because there are some laws about this, but let's say if you were running chickens through a certain time of year and helping the fertility, like after you take the fruit off in the fall, um, you know, there's a lot of great potential and some people I know in this area too, who are integrating poultry with these systems as well in an alley cropping situation. So there's a lot of ways to stack the benefits and really have a very profitable enterprise on just a couple acres with this plant. That's awesome and really inspiring. It's really one of my favorite parts of all that I've learned about agroforestry and perennial plant systems. I mean, it's just how many complementary products and enterprises that integrate beautifully to create whole farm ecosystems that benefit all the different elements. It seems like the configuration potential is limited only by your imagination and the energy that you can afford to get the projects off the ground. But now, any conversation about elderberry and its medicine would be incomplete without talking about elderberry syrup. And I know we talked about this before, but you don't have a strict recipe that you use or recommend, right? Yeah, so the reason why I don't have a specific recipe I give people is because it really depends on personal preference. One, elderberry syrup is pretty much across the board always going to be sweetened with something. It, it adds an um, amount of balance to the flavor, and especially if you're giving it to children, they're gonna lap it up if it's sweetened with something. So some people might use, say, turbinado sugar or maple syrup or local honey, um, maybe coconut palm sugar, depending on what's available in your local area, especially, or what your personal preference and health needs are, et cetera. I personally don't use uh, cane sugar that much, and so, Generally, what I do, and I have a bunch of elderberries and wild grapes in the freezer, I'm going to be making this soon, um, is I just, I put it all in a pot together. And what I have found is that to a degree, the more the better in terms of the amount of berries that you can use. Um, so let's say if I'm making a pot of elderberry syrup, um, let's say I'm using oh, a fork, four quart pot, I'll fill it halfway with elderberries. And so when I harvest the elderberries, if it's just for me, I might not actually de-stem them off that umbrella-like structure, the syme. I might just freeze them, which makes it really easy to kind of bang around the, the elderberries in a bucket or just a large pot to get them off of that stem. Um, so whatever you need to do to get them off, but filling that pot halfway and adding enough water to cover them maybe with an inch of water, uh, a couple centimeters of water, and then just setting that on a low simmer. And I, I like to simmer things low instead of flaring it up. I just give things a lot of time on a low heat. And then uh, as time goes on, I, those elderberries start to cook down a little bit. You can even add your, your seasoning spices right away, but ginger and clove and cinnamon are very common additions, but it's really just thinking about what are some herbs that are also antimicrobial are gonna make a nice uh, kind of solution together that's gonna make this, this magic flavor. But of course, ginger, clove, cinnamon are all very, um, they, they balance each other's flavors really nicely. They're warming herbs, um, they're antimicrobial, um, ginger especially can help with digestion and soothing an upset stomach. So let's say if you're using this as a cold and flu prevention, you know, if somebody's feeling a little upset stomach like a child, you know, having some extra ginger in there, depending on, you can balance things differently. But cooking all those things together, um, what you're gonna do is 
most people are gonna strain those elderberry skins out of there. Uh, you could use uh, like a jelly cloth, uh, muslin, a couple layers of muslin cloth to strain this whole solution to get the elderberry skins and also the seed. seeds are tiny, tiny. So if you don't want to get the seeds out, you can just use a larger uh, steel mesh, for example. But that's going to be strained once you cook it down to a point where um, you feel like the flavor's been been concentrated enough for you, or um, you know that the amount of liquid has gone down that couple centimeters that you had above the berries, for example, and you've got that nice solution going. And then finally, I personally add the sweetener at the end, and this is what most people do if they're trying to make a thicker syrup. And so to make that thick syrup, I see a lot of syrup in stores that's just very liquidy, which is totally fine. But in my mind, syrup is thick. Um, and but, but to make that, for example, uh, the way I do it is I just add a ton of honey. And so the honey is the thickness, but I let the elderberry solution, you know, the, the juice with the spices cool off because if you add the honey while it's hot, it's gonna liquefy and it won't give you as much of that thickness, at least not right away. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. There are a lot of different recipes. Um, I do have some books I can uh, link to in the show notes that I recommend that have some really great recipes as well. Ultimately, I would say the main components are make sure that you have the, the right types of herbs that you want in there to add some extra flavor, maybe warming, maybe cooling feelings, whatever you're looking for, digestive ease, um, and that sweetener, choosing what you want there. And it's otherwise, it's really done to the taste and consistency that you personally prefer. Yeah, I can attest to that. I made a lot of small batches of elderberry syrup from that big harvest I did when I first got here. And I played around with ginger and cinnamon and cloves and different kinds of honey. And I even tried a batch with just spices and no sweetener, which I can confidently say is an acquired taste. <laughs> My partner Alba won't go near that batch and I'm pretty sure it's slowly fermented, but I still take a brave sip now and then. But anyway, I, we've covered a lot of important aspects about growing elderberry as a business, but I'd love to hear some of your specific advice for our listeners who are interested in getting started. Yeah, so the big thing for me is that, and where I really love to help people out with my consultation here in the Midwest, is that it's about the initial layout and what you're starting with. Somebody might be starting with something that used to be a cornfield in terms of your land, or maybe it's overgrown prairie, or maybe it's a thicket of woods, which that has its own problems. But it, you know, elderberry is a very, very adaptable plant. And so I don't want to scare people away from, from growing it because it ultimately you can get a crop um, growing it in the weirdest places. I, I harvest elderberries that grow next to a railroad and it's like super compacted gravel. So, you know, it, it grows in a lot of places, but if you want to develop a reputation as a go-to source for, let's say elderberry syrup juices or even bulk frozen fruit, for example, for your area, I highly recommend getting some in-depth soil tests 
and really starting out with a, a good plan from either an agronomist or a consultant who is very familiar with the elderberry plant, with fruit growing, um, looking at things beyond just nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus in the soil, because there's a lot of other stuff that's going to affect nutrient availability. Um, and also down the line, pests and disease resistance, as well as the ultimate quality of your fruit, your flowers, and even the, let's say, the vitality of your cuttings and, and how well they grow for other people. It's, it's amazing to me how much the quality of the soil and the life they're in and the nutrient availability affects elderberries. But as a general rule to start with, higher organic matter is gonna be your friend. Uh, a lot of people say elderberry likes wet feet and while it can handle some soil moisture for sure, it doesn't like standing water and for more than say a couple weeks in the spring uh, while it's still fairly dormant. So really looking at better drained sites with higher organic matter and a pH between five and a half and six and a half is uh, some initial rules for, for growing elderberry. Aside from the soil aspect of it, this is a crop that does require irrigation. If you're looking to get really consistent crops, especially of the fruit, but also if you're planting anything more than a quarter acre and you, you need to water those cuttings, for example, the first season. Uh, otherwise, since they don't really have roots yet, they could very easily dry out and you could lose, you know, 30% or more of your cuttings that you spent time and money getting in the ground. Um, so I recommend drip tubing irrigation, um, different types, depending on topography and really looking at like, what is your water source? And do you really wanna be out there with a truck or a tractor and a water tank watering that stuff in the middle of August? Or do you wanna spend, let's say $500 per acre and just lay it out at the beginning? Not only is that solid advice for growing elderberries, it's also good advice for starting almost any agroforestry project. Given the wide range of areas and climate zones where this incredible medicinal powerhouse can grow, I hope that this has sparked some ideas in all of you to look into whether or not growing elderberry could be a good primary enterprise where you live, or as a complementary enterprise with other production systems on your land. Now before we wrap up today, I want to pose a couple of questions that we'll be discussing further in the Discord server this week. So if you're inspired by the potential and approachability of elderberry farming, but think that elderberry specifically might not be the right plant for you in your context, what other perennial crop might be a profitable option for you in your space? And also, are there any plants that you're currently growing that could be more profitable if you can find a market for their waste products the way that Pete did with the cuttings from the pruning process with elderberries? Now, I'm always amazed by the potential and adaptability of agroforestry systems and perennial plants to act as either primary or secondary enterprises in a mixed farm setting. Now, as always, I'll be continuing this conversation with the Regenerative Skills community on our Discord server, and you can join for free there through the link on our website at regenerativeskills.com. So, special thanks to Pete Wyden for sharing his wealth of knowledge this week. You can learn more about Pete's work at artisanenvironments.com and on Instagram at, at Pete Wyden. And don't forget, you can hear the full unedited interview with Pete through the subscription options on our Patreon page. This week's original music is also by Pete and his band Empty Altars. You can follow him and his band to find out more about their music on Instagram as well at, at @EmptyAltars. Altars. 
If you'd like to have your own original music featured on the show or just want to get in touch, you can email me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way. Across the way we go.